yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and not just any fantasy today, because today we're dabbling in the horror genre. You know, it's a horror story first, horror forward, as they say, um, (laughs) with a little bit of uh, historical fantasy. uh, uh, What do they call that in in like a tasting notes, you know, like a little aftertaste on the palate of a reduction. (laughs) (laughs) of historical fantasy you know (laughs) it's horror with a fantasy reduction it's got notes of fantasy uh, within it and um we are of course talking about between two fires what a reduction is i just know from american psycho (laughs) see a reduction is not a tasting note a reduction is like a sauce that or like a food that has been reduced in a hot pan to remove moisture out of it so it becomes a bit more syrupy um or a bit thicker uh in consistency uh it's yeah. but it's not a Chef taste charles in the house i that know is right something you'll only get from a man who has served food to ashton <laughs> kutcher and mila kunis All oh right? we're coming back to you that you can tell yeah. which one of us has done that based on which one of us knows what a reduction uh, is. we did not re- we did not serve any reductions at dat dog but um <laughs> <laughs> you didn't um, have like we did have with, uh... playful little dishes though we did have that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all, even if the new york times wouldn't say it but um we're here today to They're talk about words. a different horror story that's not american psycho and i actually think an american psycho 2 mila kunis starred in that so there's a bit of a connection here there's an american psycho 2 starring mila kunis i'm like pretty sure um, wow. it all I've never seen it. I don't I think saw, anyone's seen it, but <laughs> there was an American Psycho musical that had a brief run on Broadway that I saw. <laughs> I'm sure I'm it was excellent. Kidding. I remember you went to see that. Yeah. yeah, American Psycho 2. It has Mila Kunis and William Shatner in it. Wow. What a cast. What a crew. And yeah. that brings us between the horror, the. <laughs> The Mila Kunis, the American Psycho, we're back to Between Two Fires by Christopher (laughs) Beulman. Now, this was one that Dylan, I had pitched to you way back. And um, in our last Friends Pitching Fantasy, you did not select it. Um, What did you select instead? Oh, yeah, Gideon the Ninth, which we just did a wonderful episode on. A different kind of horror-ish story, I would say. Gothic Um, horror. Gothic horror, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this one is definitely more um, traditionally rooted in horror, and I'm excited to get into it. And one of the things, like, when you pick Eating the Ninth, I was very excited, obviously. It was by far the most popular choice, and it's definitely the most popular in popular culture and all of that, so I was super excited to get into that. But it left me feeling like, man, when I was pitching Between Two Fires, I was getting fired up myself, you know, yeah, on, on reading alive. it. Yeah, it, it was it was one of those ones that I was just super excited about. So I would audiobook Gideon the Ninth, and then I would read Between Two Fires as a way to kind of get both going. And now I have read Between Two Fires. Dylan, you have not. So I'm here to give a little spoiler-free discussion of Christopher Buhlman's, I believe, second release, his horror-forward novel, and uh, yeah, I have a lot to say about it, so I'm excited to get into it. 
I'm sure you do. We're both huge fans of Christopher Buhlman's fantasy debut, mm-hmm. The Black Tongue Thief. We read that, jeez, probably a year and a half ago or something like that at this It point. was earlier this year. We read it in like January. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm remembering. Cause cause it you... was in one of my favorite books that we've read this year over yes, at um, which you can <laughs> SFF Check podcast. out on SFF Spoilers Podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll have to check it out, though, to see the books chosen by, uh, oh, well, two other books chosen by Charles, three mm-hmm. chosen by me, three mm-hmm. chosen by author of Among Thieves, MJ Kuhn, and of course, Whoa. three chosen by Adrian Gibson over there. Those two podcaster the extraordinaires. SFF addicts, yeah, podcasters, both extraordinaires. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, we got... We got really into the Black Tongue Thief in that deep dive spoiler filled episode Mm -hmm. we did about a year ago. And what a joy, a novel filled with humor, also grimdark. It kind of is one of the few books that finds that Abercrombian balance between Mm. humor and grimdark. There's only a couple Mm. authors, a handful, if you will, who... I would say are really capable of that, that I've read, of course, Abercrombie and the person that I kind of consider the master of the humor, grim, dark balance. Then there's Ed McDonald. Uh, he does uh, Blackwing and the rest of that trilogy. That was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I believe I pitched that to you, Charles, in the Friends Pitching Fantasy. You did not you select did. it, but that's a great grim, dark humor balance. And then, of course, uh, we've got Christopher Buhlman. Sounds like this is different tonally from mm-hmm. The Black Tongue Thief. Between Two Fires seems a little bit more play it straight. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious what kind of differences you saw between the two books. Because fantasy fans yeah. are probably more familiar <laughs> with The Black Tongue books, Thief. Between two books, you know, between yes. two fires. So, between two yeah. ferns. And I think a lot of great <laughs> web series for sure. I, you know, it was interesting because earlier this year, at the very beginning of the year, like you said, we that was we read Black Tongue Thief, and what's interesting is that was our introduction to Christopher Buhlman. Uh, but he's already been an established author in other in the horror genre, and he's already also been an established like playwright, um, a strong presence in Renaissance fairs as like a professional insulter and he's like in a traveling troupe <laughs> and all of these things. So it's kind of funny. Normally I like to experience an author from the beginning and watch their work kind of progress. But we're kind of doing this in reverse with Buhlman. I'm, I'm, I find myself learning more about him as I'm going backwards, right? <laughs> so what's interesting about um, Black Tongue Thief is that was his first fantasy book. And I would also argue it's his most successful work to date, just based on critical reception and like popular reception. And maybe that's just because we're in the fantasy world, so it's just made huge waves for us. Um, but it feels that way. Um and I think, like, on Goodreads and stuff, it's got the most reviews and all of this stuff. And it, yeah. uh, But it, it pulled us in right away, like you said, Dylan. And the, the thing that jumped out, obviously, the grimdark influence, the calls to Scott Lynch and the calls to Joe Abercrombie and the praise from Nicholas Eames and Robin Hobb and, like, all of these huge names just praising the book. We were super excited to get into it. And it was excellent. 
um, and his voice, um, not just in the audiobook, which he narrates <laughs> and uh, like performs, I would say. Uh, it's not just him doing his voice, it's him performing a character. So not just that voice, but actually the voice of his writing style is what fascinated us from the beginning. And we both knew that we were like absolutely fascinated by this guy and super appreciative of his works. Wholly original, yet hitting those particular tropes that we like and it was his horror influence that brought like a really interesting flair to um black tongue thief and now what's interesting is it's like what is the difference between a fantasy book with horror elements and a horror book with fantasy elements right so it's like kind of doing a little switcheroo with between two fires which is um christopher buhlman's second uh book that he published because he did those across the river which is another genre bending southern horror book which i'm definitely gonna read at some point because i'm just a huge fan of buhlman now um but between two fires made the most sense for me because it had the you know knights and angels and demons and it was more rooted in fantasy so definitely thought hey let's let's give this one a try next and um it's like you said dylan he's it's definitely a more serious tone. I think Black Tongue Thief, it was unabashed, like, let me just go all out with this character who's a bit of a roguish type, who has this twisted sense of humor, and let's just lean into the absurdity of the story. You know, let's have some fun with it. And Between Two Fires, there's occasionally humor in it, but it is a very miserable setting, so no one can truly be happy in this book. So it's just kind of like a, it's very much rooted in, in misery, and there's a lot of horror that happens in this book. So it's a much more serious, that gives it a more serious tone. But then with that, Buhlman, I think, is very smart, where he's like, okay, this is a se- more serious book, more serious subject matter. I'm going to just focus on telling prose that you could probably read right out of the bible or some renaissance sermon or something like that and he just leans in on that and he delivers like with insane writing chops in this that it just gets you pumped up reading it you just like a whole nother level so not as like funny and creative and zany off the wall ideas and thoughts and stories but just as much talent and focused energy here that I that the reading experience of it his voice continues to shine even though he's doing it in a tonally very very different I mean he's obviously a fantastic fantastic writer and and that was kind of what made me want to try the book and I can say for anyone that's interested he he delivers a hundred percent that's great to hear yeah I I was curious about the element of humor or lack thereof in between two fires because he's so funny, right? And the Mm -hmm. guy who's a professional (laughs) insulter at Renaissance fairs, you know, you'd almost be remiss, you'd think, not to include that humor in this. But at the same time, uh, horror, it can be such a delicate balance when it comes to humor because it can undercut the tension and tension is Mm -hmm. so critical to a horror novel of any sort. I mean, occasional comic relief can help, but when you compare it to the black tongue thief, which is just the character who's basically narrating the story of the black tongue thief is just a very funny guy and makes a lot of humorous observations just in the, telling of the story and and Buhlman is so tight to that point of view but 
so you just like you couldn't make it not funny with that guy telling the story but uh, this one it sounds like focuses more on the pros is it is it third person point of view or is it first person it's third i think yeah words are like oh he did this he did that you know you know the main character did this so uh because it's almost told like you would read is like and lo unto thee that he uh, did this crazy thing you know every once in a while it will get like that and yeah i I would say you know christopher buman this may be because it's an earlier work but he takes it very very seriously where i think in black tongue thief he brings in that same high standard of artistic integrity but doesn't you know and takes the writing seriously, of course, but the actual subject matter and like what he's writing, he's not taking seriously at all. He's having fun with it and he's like leaning into the absurdity yeah. and, and into the fantasy genre a lot more. But in Between Two Fires, it's it's very serious throughout. I mean, he does tell a few jokes like the story takes place in France, but there's one time where they're going into Florence and it's the plague, right? So there's lots of dead bodies. And so this idea of they were describing like mass graves with like you have lots of corpses and then dirt and then more curbs, cur- uh, uh, corpses. And then it's um, they developed this phrase, oh, they've gone to the lasagna. Like they've just like, oh been gosh. buried in this layered mass grave. So they, he injects humor in it at some points. And you and they like have moments where they're eating together and they're having a good time. And, Hopefully not and they're lasagna. joking with each other. But those are glimmers because the setting is really, really grim like near the end of a black death plague that has just absolutely ravaged the world that they live in. And there's nothing that hasn't been affected by this plague. They'll go into an abandoned house and there's just corpses everywhere, like a corpse in the bed that had died or a corpse leaning over a fence that had died. So there's lots of those depressing scenes here. And I think Buhlman wanted to take that subject matter very seriously because a whole part of the story, and I'll get into the story, actually, I should probably read the synopsis, but the whole plot of the story is about, you know, redemption in the face of just being basically abandoned by God. It's like, how can you even redeem yourself at that point? How can you go on at that point? What's even the point, you know? And so just testing the characters in this really tough setting, I, I think the choice to keep the tone very serious was was a really smart one and a really successful one. Yeah, it's it's hard to make the Black Plague uh, funny. It's, <laughs> I, I mean, I listened to a podcast discussing it a while back and then just, I was like, just stunned by the percentage of people who died in Europe during that time. Like a quick mm-hmm. Google search now says that it killed 30 to 50% of the entire population of Europe. I mean, so walking around there, that is going to be a just abysmal place to, to be. It's hard to even imagine, like literally one out of two people or three people that you know is dying. So mm-hmm. we've got this extremely dark setting. Charles, should we get into the subject matter by reading that synopsis then? Yeah, sure. I'll just kind of read the back of the book synopsis to 
give us a level set here. Um, mm-hmm. The year is 1348. Thomas, a disgraced knight, has found a young girl alone in a dead Norman village, an orphan of the Black Death and an almost unnerving picture of innocence. She tells Thomas that plague is only part of a larger cataclysm, that the fallen angels under Lucifer are rising in a second war on heaven, and that the world of men has fallen behind the lines of conflict. Is it delirium or is it faith? She believes she has seen the angels of God. She believes the righteous dead speak to her in dreams. And now she has convinced the faithless Thomas to shepherd her across a depraved landscape in Avignon. There, she tells Thomas she will fulfill her to confront the evil that has devastated the earth and to restore to this betrayed, murderous knight the nobility and hope of salvation he long abandoned. As hell unleashes its wrath and the true nature of the girl is revealed, Thomas will find himself on a macabre battleground of angels and demons, saints, and the risen dead, and in the midst of a desperate struggle for nothing less than the soul of man. So that is... Quite a synopsis. <laughs> yeah, that's some heavy subject matter that yeah. Yulman is approaching there, and definitely some big themes, it sounds like, are being explored. Has some mm-hmm. Last of Us vibes, it seems like. Yeah, it- yeah. you know, it's a, it's a trope that I find myself actually enjoying quite a bit, where it's like older, like, disenfranchised, not disenfranchised, right. but like disillusioned, kind of grizzled, older, parental not seemingly parental figure takes on a parental role to a much younger innocent person like i think of Geralt and siri in the beginning of the witcher series too where he's like pretty much at the end of his (laughs) witchering days and then he meets siri and there's something that compels him to protect her and like they develop almost like a family bond and that's a very similar relationship dynamic that you get here and it's just fun to watch like that stone chip away at the heart of someone yeah. who's like seen it all super experienced knows better than to let himself love someone right and then still just being in the presence of someone so innocent it still chips away at them and that's a really fun um, dynamic for two characters leading your story uh, that i found that i enjoy yeah a tried and true trope for sure mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. one that i mean even the Mandalorian has some elements of yeah. of that as well, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit uh, different in the way that it's executed. It's but I, I'd point, say though. at the heart, very close. yeah, at the heart of that trope. So we're we're naming some hugely popular things here. <laughs> I mean, The Witcher, The Last of Us, uh, and then The, the Mandalorian. Mandalorian. So it's <laughs> there's something about this that is definitely working for people. And mm-hmm. it sounds like that's at play here in between two fires. But uh, there's also the like big picture uh, stuff that he's tackling here. The questions. I mean, I read some of the Wikipedia page of it as someone who hasn't read the book. I avoided the plot section because I do want to mm-hmm. read this Smart. one and I, I don't want any spoilers, but I did not avoid the one sentence or two sentence major themes section, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, it says 
Jason Gollum? I don't know. Oh, uh, it's weird to <laughs> to say Gollum in any sort of, but it's G-O-L-O-M-B, and I don't know what else I would say, but it's amazing yeah. if someone writing about something that's like borderline fantasy novel has the last name Gollum, but Jason mm. Gollum wrote that Redemption and Renewal are major themes of the novel, and it also explores questions of why God allows disasters such as the Black black plague to occur i mean buhlman is really getting in there with some big picture oh, yeah. stuff and it just explores i it sounds like he uh, like is really tackling some stuff that to his is, credit he takes them on directly which yeah. is v- like very ambitious like the whole premise of the book is super ambitious it's like struggling for the soul of man, you know, it's like it doesn't get right. kind of more primal than that, for sure. Right. And how did you feel about the way that he got into that? Like, was it really interesting philosophical yeah. musings about it? Did you do a good job of making the characters like real while also because that's a thing that can happen is sometimes when someone's got these huge points or at least questions that they're trying to uh, answer explore the characters can become like mouthpieces like mm-hmm. uh, did you find i guess a like did you find it satisfying his exploration of these questions and then b uh to the characters maintain their uh, i'm gonna try this charles mm. versimilitude i believe Ooh. is the word right there we go <laughs> <Their> versimilitude <laughs> it's wow. something uh yeah, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Verisimilitude. I think there's the a little, there's appearance a of being there. true or real. <laughs> yeah, verisimilitude. Okay, there we go. That's a good one, right? Uh, do they maintain one. their verisimilitude? Uh, despite... Great questions. Yeah, and I can tell all our listeners today that the exploration of themes of redemption in this story and using religion as Kind of and horror combined as a way to push that is explored masterfully here. Like I was mm-hmm. so impressed, and I don't read a whole lot of horror, but when I thought about it, I'm like, this is a great way to test someone's resolve. And when you think about redemption as like, there's a maybe, is there a price you have to pay to be redeemed? Do you have to suffer to be clean? You know, a very Catholic kind of view of of forgiveness, right? Where it's like you go to hell and then you're forgiven, you know, or something like that. And it's like, is that like a thing? Like, can, is it reasonable for God to do that to humanity? And then does that mean that you can be redeemed? And at what price do you have to pay? You know, and it's explored so well. And the ending is to me, my favorite part of the story is so powerful where Buhlman really tests the limits of his characters and his setting and of his use of religion and horror as thematic elements and puts them all together to really push this idea of redemption and can our main character be redeemed? Can the world be redeemed? Because so much of the story, it's told almost like an odyssey where there's also almost like, you know, they form bands of unlikely people every once in a while as they like the whole thing is them traveling from one place to another because the the girl is emphatic that they have to go to this place and so they're going and 
they just get into I'm going to call them adventures along the way, but this is a horror story, so they get into like like horror stories along the way and they're all kind of episodic in what happens. They go to a new place, there's new characters, something horrific happens and then they go to the next thing. Sometimes it's like an epic monster battle, sometimes it's like a psychological scary story like um you know fireside scary story kind of thing so there's a lot of that and the book is actually rather long because it's doing this a lot and they're just traveling around and you know there's elements of demons kind of being around the world and then also it's just as scary to have people who are kind of profiteering off of the plague and you know all and then people who like it seems like the only people that are surviving are just the most horrible people and and all of this stuff and so you it, it gets kind of shown and explored mm-hmm. throughout but it's really at the end where it is tested and it is kind of like reflected on and it, and it, to me it was very powerful you know i was like man he he went there really far with some of his characters and i really appreciated it because it can be very ambitious to pull on religion and to play it straight um and you know, that's what he did here. And it can be kind of tired. You know, religion is a tricky thing in this day and age because so many people are are like anti-religion or, or super pro-crazy religion. And it can be kind of hard to find someone who's just kind of neutral about religion and is willing to write like a, a story without commenting on like the church, you know, which he still does, but in like the 1300s church, you know, and, but he's more pulling on it as inspiration for the themes and he does it super well. And it, it's, it was really fascinating to read, honestly. Yeah, that's, that's definitely hard to find. You think of these, uh, it's these stories that draw from religious elements typically as having a point uh, in terms of a clear side of like pro-religious or anti-religious in in this day and age so that the wikipedia article used the word explore which is always a a good sign for me is like i i don't enjoy as much when it's very clear that the author is uh, like trying to convince you of their side of things like i like Mm -hmm. it better when it is just kind of like well like let's get into this and there aren't always clear answers but uh, let's speculate a little bit um it seems like uh, you said it's episodic in nature that that Mm. also sounds witcher like to me in Mm -hmm. terms of those short stories that the uh, the first book of the witcher ends up uh, using as a device the first and second book of the witcher series do that and uh, uh, or as as the kids would say, it's giving Witcher. You know that, Charles. You know that they. You know all about that. No. <laughs> they don't say about? vibes. They just say like the new slang is like it's giving insert oh. like it's giving Witcher, We're but not like the vibes. way we'd say. Like vibes. Well, I think they still say vibes in other circumstances. Like, uh, mm-hmm. not that I'm the expert in any, any of this, <laughs> but it, I think they might say like that guy has bad vibes or something. But when they're saying like it's giving, we might say like, oh, this is giving me Witcher vibes. They would just say it's giving Witcher. That's what they mm-hmm. would say. Yeah. So yeah, this sounds like it's giving Witcher, and in a lot of ways using horror elements which i i don't feel like are super strong in witcher 
uh, and also, yeah, taking on some some big picture questions, which Witcher does as well in exploring. Uh, we we did a whole episode on what makes a monster, which mm-hmm. is a pretty big question as well. So it's it's ambitious of Christopher Buhlman to, to take all this on and to do it in an episodic way, but also to tie it all together in a way that sounds satisfying. Like mm-hmm. it sounds like the ending ties all of these uh, potentially separate feeling episodic moments into into one satisfying conclusion. That it sounds really impressive. Right, exactly. And it's because the whole thing is rooted in redemption ultimately, and you can use religion as a tool of that. But even he... Even Buhlman was very smart to be like, okay, well, um, he talks about, like, there's a quote where they're dreaming of this ideal future. It's like a world where God's love was unfiltered by priests or texts and could be had freely by looking up at the sky, you know? So there's, there is these elements of, hey, like, there's something thematic about just the existence of God that you can lean on to explore redemption. And so this main character, he is a knight who is totally disenfranchised and, you know, he's in a super religious um, society and he's also super disenfranchised by that. And he has every reason to be because anywhere you go, someone's trying to cheat you or kill you or could get you sick and you just have to be on your guard all the time. And he's a character who cares for this little girl but also as they're traveling he has to like kill people to save her you know and he has to think poorly on people in order to like stay on guard and and stay on edge and survive in this world and so he's constantly at war with that of like how can i protect people and also kill people and also expect like salvation and then and that for the longest time throughout the book is totally disenfranchised him yet He's traveling with someone who firmly believes in doing only good all the time and that God's real and all and coming back and all of this other stuff. And so he's like trying to believe it, but like practical nature is causing him to continue on. And then it just raises the question of like, what is redemption? How does one redeem themselves? What price do they have to pay? Can anyone be redeemed? Even these horrible, horrible um settings that they're in and where you have literal demons like coming down and and messing with people and 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 like taking over people and stuff like that every horrible thing they could think to do to to humanity so it's like what is the other side of that and like how can you overcome it and it's like the i'll say like the solution which is the ending of the book is a super interesting and thoughtful one in that but um I don't know. It's 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 one of those things where it keeps you thinking about it, and it, it, there's so much rich thematic stuff to get into that would be spoiler filled. But I, I think it's important to think about because you talked about it's episodic, and it it all it is, um, and there is that entertainment value to it as well. So it's because it is after all a horror novel and my experience with horror is pretty limited but you still need those stories i think of like edgar Allan poe like you know like 
Casio of Amantiago, Telltale Heart, whatever, where it's like mm-hmm. those kind of stories are happening throughout. So there is that entertainment value. And let's be real here. There are like angels and demons and they're fighting each other. And there's also supernatural crap and there's cool monster battles and all this other stuff. So Buhlman delivers. But I, I, I don't know. I'm just very impressed with how seriously he took everything and like delivered and had the writing chops to back it up. So I had nothing but respect for for um this story and then the fact that i was entertained by it as well was just a a nice added bonus you know it's just so good like i have so many things highlighted that i just was like so impressed by it's just a totally different writing style than i'm used to you know it's it's so serious but yet so entertaining at the same time it is almost like poetry you can see his poetic and his playwriting background really um influence the voice of the story because it is very like theatrical in its presentation (laughs) yeah i'm sure you came away with a lot of fantastic quotes from Mm -hmm. this one and that's a that's one that you said you read on kindle right am i yeah Mm -hmm. okay yeah that's one of the nice things about reading on kindle is uh, you can highlight and just go back to a page that has all of them and mm-hmm. uh, it's uh it's too bad we don't have the chance to get into a spoiler filled discussion where i'd have read the book too um, we can get there i'm sure eventually but i'm sh- sure it would uh, involve mm-hmm. a lot of reading of awesome quotes you mentioned that it's a very different tone and a very different writing style than you're used to obviously we read a ton of fantasy on here and Mm -hmm. this could like the premise of this could easily be a fantasy novel or historical fantasy novel Mm -hmm. but it sounds like the writing style and the tone because there's always this like weird not entirely arbitrary line but uh like hard to determine (laughs) exactly where it is line between horror and fantasy and Mm -hmm. it sounds like it's the the tone then mostly that you would say makes this horror like where are you coming having read a fantasy book by him and a horror book because you talked about the idea of differentiating between Mm. fantasy book with horror elements and horror book with fantasy elements where are you coming down on the difference between those two yeah that's a great question i think the first thing comes down to is the subject matter like there's so much focus on and then they went into this house and it appeared empty and then they went in and they saw the corpse there and then like overnight it re like you know this like the stuff that happens is significantly more um, horrific. Um, there is some horrific stuff in uh, Black Tongue Thief for sure, but it, it's all here and then some in Between Two Fires. So I definitely think for most of the book, he's trying to put you in a mood and, and give you like horror vibes. And I think that's part of the episodic nature of like the 75% of this book um, is trying to do. So that is the the first area I think that that's the focus. And the second is like the story itself is not a fantasy at all. Um, it's it's like when I think of like a fantasy novel, it, it, it there seems to be more of, I don't know, magic, missions, quests. None of that's really here. There's religion, and there's certainly like fantastical elements of that. But it's more like I'm picturing. Uh, did you see the movie like The Witch or something like that? Where um, I did not. 
Ooh, The Witch is a fantastic horror movie, but it just takes place in like pioneer times, you know, and the language is old timey and it's just a family trying to survive in the middle of nowhere. And things get a little weird and wild and horrific uh, while they're trying to do that. And it's a very similar thing um, with this story. So I definitely think it's the focus on like telling these horror stories throughout um, is the biggest piece. And then, I don't know, it, it's it's definitely, I, I would say that's the biggest thing. Because you could, like fantasy, the, the great thing about it is you could inject it into a lot of different stuff and, and call it fantasy. But um, I would definitely say that the with the Black Tongue Thief, there was, you know, thieves guilds and wizards and swords and shields and then towers and like all this other stuff and <laughs> in towers. between two fires you are in the world once you got depressing. towers in there it's <laughs> yeah. yes yeah, rolling towers, towers. With... well if you have two or more towers that's, mm, that's what yeah you get. oh that's true yeah, ta- yeah towers are very fantastical for sure <laughs> like you can... i mean there's Babel, the tower in Seven oh, yeah. Sins, mm-hmm. and yep, yep. I'm sure many other towers as well. The two towers in Lord of the Rings, <laughs> yeah, you know, of course. The, the, That's of a course. Um, you know, you got like, I don't know, Rapunzel or something up in a tower, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's it was kind of fascinating to see the difference between the two, and there is a difference, and it's kind of interesting to see Buellman with Black Tongue Thief being his ra- latest release, and we know he's working on a prequel, and like he's been leaning more that way. It seems that um, it'll be interesting to see how his voice and like the tonality that he chooses for each story kind of continues. But he seems like the kind of guy who knows what kind of story he's trying to tell and wants to like tell different kinds of stories and this one just fit really well into like i'm going to play it very straight we're dealing with matters of religion and matters of the like souls of man and all of that so the setting is the 1300s so i'm really gonna play it as straight as i can and then in the fantasy it's like oh it could be whatever i want let's see how far i can push this let's lean into the into the like fantastical and the whimsy of that you know which he does so um, there are some commonalities in his attention to like horror details and using that to shock you and and push the limits of his themes, which I find super fascinating. Uh, but but the ultimately the vibes are totally different, you know, <laughs> totally different. <laughs> That's exciting to hear, though, that he displays such impressive versatility because mm-hmm. uh, the character he's a literal that renaissance he's going to, he is, <laughs> yes uh, the character that he's using to be the main character and presumably the point of view character of the prequel to the black tongue thief is one that i is a different character than the main character of the black tongue thief and i guess i don't know if i would call it a worry that i had because i have mm-hmm. so much faith in christopher buhlman's writing ability mm-hmm. uh, but uh, i guess i would i was thinking oh this character is not as funny that's just not their voice so i was like uh, am right. i not going to enjoy the prequel as much because it's not going to have as much humor but it sounds like mm-hmm. buhlman has this ability to adapt to different writing styles and it also seems like you enjoyed it a ton even without that oh yeah that element because it, it was much. just like he played the right cards to fit the story you know like yeah in black tongue thief he was 
writing similar story about the, the you know pretty much love and companionship and and finding meaning and and, and life through that and in this book he's talking about redemption but it, it's it he knows the vibe that he wants to achieve like he wanted to achieve a very playwright insult renaissance guy kind of story with black tongue thief and then he wanted to portray like a serious like uh, sermon almost in between two fires so he's willing to understand okay what is the vibe and what is the theme that i'm really trying to hit home and where through my voice can I lean into to tell that story? And having only read two books and seen like the spectrum that he already has has shown, it makes me want to read other stories. Like one's completely removed from fantasy elements, like his first book that was like super um, praised and celebrated. Uh, Those across the river, you know, which is a very mm-hmm. mo- more modern setting. It's like to see just where he's willing, where he can go, and the fact that he gets almost this like curiosity and this kind of you know artistic integrity through shifting the voice makes me appreciate him you know sometimes you think you know you want to just call an author an artist sometimes and Christopher Buhlman is one of those guys where you really just see the the intrigue and the passion and the and the there's something just on an artistic level that he's trying to achieve with these stories and with and the ambition that he goes to tell them in that you don't really, especially in fantasy, can be hard to get sometimes. Sometimes in fantasy, a guy thinks up a cool magic system and and puts politics around it, and that we, those are fantastic stories. But his name is the, Brandon Sanderson, Charles. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. To what artistic integrity, yeah. like to what statements to he's trying to do bush. as an artist, is up for interpretation. I think his artistry is just in how big can I take this? How much and of a science how can do I make I this? Yeah, <laughs> create this massively entertaining uh, story. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that's the Sanderson way. Is just like yes, but I'm he's like very analytical, and he's creating like laws oh, yeah. of writing fantasy in his mind, and creating relationships and yeah. like s- scales and things on which he can build entertaining stories and worlds. And I think Buhlman's like, how do I really own the vibes of? what I'm trying to achieve and it's just two different approaches and uh, something about the Buhlman approach gets me excited and like after reading a lot of like fantasy like we love and we're used to it's a nice like disruptor in in that lineup and I have to say like Buhlman does have a strong audience because although this book did not do as well as Gideon the Ninth for like you know Gideon the Ninth is just hot right now and is coming out with (laughs) his latest book this year but I would say Between Two Fires had the most write-ins, for sure. Even if it didn't get the most yeah. votes, it had the most write-ins. And I really appreciated that. That's how you know an, uh, an author is doing something, because people feel compelled to write you a message directly saying, hey, like this, I, this is a great book. I would love to like talk about this with someone, you know, because it, it, it just spoke to me on a different level. Like, no one's writing in to say, read Gideon the Ninth. I just, it's... It's already a bestseller. Like, there's no one who's championing that. But there were multiple write-ins for Buhlman and for Between Two Fires. So it's just kind of an interesting, like, difference in approach and, and difference in style that I'm, I'm super excited to continue to watch his career. And I'll definitely be picking up more books from him in the future. And I highly recommend this to anyone that, that had found any of this even remotely interesting or maybe read Black Tongue Thief or... You know, maybe read Scott Lynch or Joe Abercrombie or something like that to give this a try, 100%. So it sounds like those are the 
folks who you would recommend this for because we always try to in these spoiler free episodes get into that uh, sounds like fans of Abercrombie fans of Scott Lynch and of course fans of Buhlman's fantasy work anyone for else? sure and fans of like The Witcher fans of Last of Us fans mm-hmm. of you know you can get into the horror like Stephen King like yeah. you can go into that too um, but yeah I think fantasy fans would definitely like who are curious about horror i think this is a good bridge over into horror because it pulls on enough stuff to like keep you rooted in the familiar but it pushes it in the horror direction so anyone even remotely interested in horror that's a fantasy fan listening on this show is 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 worth it's worth checking out but if you're disturbed by horror images (laughs) obviously this is not the book for you because it goes like any horrible thing you could think to happen to a person and that's funny there's certain characters where like um, buhlman describes hell and just the creativity of the torture that he describes what people go through in hell is so horrific. You do not want to go there, you know. And and, and then one of the things like, don't like, want to go to price? hell, Charles. <laughs> but you know, you know, like, oh yeah, hell is bad. All the worst things imaginable. Oh, it's so bad. But then, like, get he describes here. stuff, and you're like, oh, good God, like. Like that is, I really do not want to hell. Like I I knew I really didn't want to go, but uh, this just like reset. Like now I'm like concerned actively. Uh, So you know it's it's kind of like this is not for people with like who are going to be kind of turned off by like threats of sexual assault or torture, gore or psychological torture or any of that. It's all it's all here. Um, Yeah everything you could think of every sin you can commit is kind of considered and and written into this book so um yeah that's that's kind of a little caveat there but i know i think we've said it all it's Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that's like this is such a like fantastic author it's almost rare to see someone with so much you know poetic license to put into telling the story that yeah I'm, I'm just super fascinated and uh, i'm looking forward to his next release whenever that may be i'll be there and i will read it and maybe i'll pick up those across the river while i'm waiting you know just totally get totally disconnect from fantasy to see what he's up to you know see his original book yeah right well you have me fascinated as well charles this is one that i know i will read at some point the question is only when and <laughs> Yeah, then I guess we'll get our opportunity to dive into this one with more spoilers. But for now, as you said, Charles, I think we've said it all. If Mm -hmm. you're interested in taking a look at Buhlman's other work, this is, it sounds like, a fantastic place to start. And Mm -hmm. Charles, uh, I think that there's probably not much left to do except to get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping at this point. I would agree. Let's get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping. Thank you, everyone, one and all, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you've heard today and you want to support the show, the best way to do that is engaging with us over on social media. That's at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and at the FTF Podcast with number one at the end on Twitter. Now, Dylan, if they like what they heard today and they want to support the show even more than engaging with us over on social media, what can they do? 
toss five stars to our podcast, which you can now do over on Spotify, where most of you are listening. It's just two clicks at the top of the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast feed, and it helps us so much when you do that. You can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That means you can say nice things about me, nice things about Charles, if you're so inclined, and that always puts a smile on my face, and presumably on Charles's face as well, but just listening is more than enough. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, well said, Dylan. Just listening is more than enough, but you Peelman fans, write in. You've been great so far. Keep it up. Keep the messages coming. You can talk Peelman all day, especially spoilers, which I can't talk about, so uh, one, one day. But until then, guys, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.